This is Sports Talk with Jack Wilson on News Talk 770, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. And good afternoon. It is a very special edition of Sports Talk. Dave Rowe with you. I'm coming to you from the Red and White Club. Uh, Mark Steven, the voice of the Calgary Stampeders, is at the uh, front of the room here. We've got a packed crowd for the Legacy Lunch. Right now, he is introducing the 1992 Calgary Stampeder Grey Cup team. I tell you what, a lot of fun this has been. The alumni started coming into town yesterday. They've been getting together. A full weekend of fun has been planned. Uh, the lunch is just part of it. And I tell you, it was pretty cool that uh, Stampeder walked through uh, just about an hour ago as today's team is getting ready for tomorrow night's game against the Hamilton Tiger Cats as uh, all of these Stampeder greats uh, came out. A lot of the uh, Stampeder players, uh, some of the local guys were playing fanboys for players they remember as uh, little kids and uh, Doug Flutie was signing a whole lot of footballs for uh, just about everybody on the team. Joined off the top of the broadcast by uh, our good buddy uh, Jock Wilson from Sports Talk with Jock. How you doing, bud? Doug Flutie just got a standing ovation here at the Red and White Club as uh, he was the last player introduced of the 36 players that are here. A lot of the coaching staff from 1992, they're in the house as well tonight. Of course, there are a couple of notable absentees, and that is Wally Buono, who is the head coach of that 92 championship team. And, of course, Larry Rickman. Uh, did Larry Rickman get an invitation? Uh, no, I don't know Flurry Rickman can make it over the border without getting arrested so but you know it's funny like you know we joke about Larry Rickman but honestly without Larry I don't think uh, we've got a 92 championship to celebrate you remember you and I were both here right you remember how desperate the circumstances were Larry Rickman came out of nowhere uh, you know bought the team got the U.S. expansion going in the CFL and just basically kept this thing going and helped uh, and helped put this team uh, together well you're bang on Dave because we all remember the SOS of the of the late 80s, which was not a very fun time for the Calgary Stampeders. And that's what John Huffnagel said when he was on Sports Talk with Jock earlier this week. He said, you know, he really felt a sense of accomplishment for those players that had to live through those late 80s, which were so difficult times for the Calgary Stampeder organization and then able, you know, to win this championship in 1992. So you're right. Uh, Larry Rickman, he had his warts, he had his issues with this organization, this franchise. But I will say this, he hosted one of the best ever oh. Great Cup <laughs> yeah. parties after the 92 championship at the top of the Calgary Tower. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was fantastic. I remember parts. <laughs> well, yeah, good point. It was, it was an epic... Epic party. It was an, yeah, it was an epic a, party. Uh, the booze yeah. was flowing. Everyone was having a good time. Uh, his party the year after that was at a rest days, and he had chicken wings, and he got two drink tickets. Yes. And then a year after that, uh, well, we know we, what we happened. All moved yes. along. But, of course, like we're here celebrating uh, the 1992 Grey Cup Championship, and the actual game wasn't much of a game. Uh, Matt Dunnigan was leading the Winnipeg uh, Blue Bombers, and, of course, uh, Doug Flutie leading the Calgary Stampeders. And uh, the Stampeders really just rolled this game. It was uh, 24 to nothing. The final score was 24 to 10. A couple of touchdowns in this game. Uh, one, Alan Pitts, of course. Uh, Alan, uh, the all-time CFL, the all-time Stampeder great, who unfortunately is one of the guys who couldn't be here. Yeah. One of the guys they can't find. Well, that that receiving core was excellent, led by you know Alan Pitts, uh, Dave Sapungis, uh, Pee Wee Smith uh, had him on Sports Talk earlier this week as well. Don't forget Derek Crawford was part of that receiving core. Yeah, uh, but it was all it was all led by the quarterback number 20, Doug Flutie. Oh yeah, Doug Flutie. I mean just. Uh, what a, 
at the time, you know, the CFL was really trying to, uh, to, to change its face, and Doug Flutie was such a big part of that. He was brought in uh, by Murray Pezum to uh, the, uh, the BC Lions, and then, of course, uh, Murray ran into some ownership trouble with the BC Lions, mm-hmm. and uh, Doug Flutie ended up here, went on to his years in Toronto. But uh, really, at the time, there was a lot going on in the CFL, and Doug Flutie was a big part of it, where they really... I thought brought the CFL sort of into the modern age, away from sort of, you know, the quaint, funky, local thing that it had been up until then. Well, you know what we really like to see? Doug Flutie was made for the Canadian Football League because, you know, the way he would be, you know, that unconventional quarterback, he would ad-lib, he would use his feet, he had one of the best arms in the game, more importantly, he had one of the best, uh, you know, minds in the game. When you talk about football IQ, obviously you talk about a guy like uh, like Doug Flutie, but I think Greg Peterson probably nailed it best, and Greg Peterson is in the house. Um, what was really unique about this 92 championship team was probably the defensive line. You had guys like, you know, Stu Laird and Kent Warnick and, you know, so many national players. You know, they were called Canadians back in the day, but yeah. national players. You had, what, three starting nationals on that defensive line. And, and that was one unheard of. And, and, and they started one extra Canadian on that team, kind of like what the Calgary Stampeders do in 2017. And they did last year as well. They start the one extra Canadian, and it gives you so much flexibility, Dave. And uh, we are going to be talking to uh, a lot of these Stampeder great, so hopefully going to have to pry them away from their lunch and pry them away from their teammates, but a lot of these guys have agreed uh, to uh, graciously give of their time, and I can see uh, one guy, he's making his way over here right now. Well, I I got to tell you, just a a quick shout out to uh, Tammy Truman. Tammy Truman is the uh, the sponsor of the Legacy Luncheon here, Dave, and I'm sitting at her table, so I'm not even supposed to be on the show with you, but uh, you're going to take it away now, so thanks so much for your time. There you go, and way to get, uh, way to get Tammy in on the broadcast as well, but uh, we are joined uh, right now uh, by uh, the uh, Crate Linebacker He's figuring out the microphone. He did Smart Football IQ and Start Radio IQ, too. Daryl Hall. Daryl, how you doing, man? It's so good to see you after all this time. Thank you. It's good to be seen, and, man, it's awesome to be here with all these guys. I was looking at you, looking at all of you guys out on the field here. You just look like a bunch of big kids out there. I was Just describe what that was like, you know, getting, getting the gang back together, being out here on the turf, seeing today's team. I, I feel like a big kid. We've got that youthful energy. We feel like we did when we played. Uh, mentally, we could still play, but physically, oh, not even close. But it's a privilege and an honor and, man, just mind-blowing in a way that we're all finally back together and, you know, feels like hardly any time has gone between us. It's it's the way of things. You know, people go their separate ways. After football, well, what, uh, where, where did you end up? What happened to you? What you been doing? I did a few things, but here recently I've been uh, a middle school teacher and just recently got a job as a dean at a high school, so I'm very happy for that accomplishment, and I will be also coaching the running backs at the high school I'm working at, so... That's going to be interesting. I always, I always get confused when guys are coaching out of their own position here. You know, I mean, we got, you know, you're coaching running backs and all this, but still involved in the game of football. Have you been in touch with the alumni at all through the years? Do you stay in touch with any of the guys? I've uh, off and on with a few guys. Uh, some guys like Junior Thurman really close to and really tight with, but just being here reminds me of how special it's been and how special this team was that really we all liked each other and we all cared about each other yeah i mean let's talk about that 1992 team when you guys got together in uh, in training camp i mean obviously you look up and down that roster you see a guy like doug flutie arriving in town you know 
straight out of the gate, were you thinking Grey Cup? Were you thinking you guys were contenders? We were. We had unfin unfinished business from the previous year, and we knew with the addition of Doug and his championship pedigree that he was going to fit right in and help us get to the next level. And, of course, that's what he did. And what's, like, what does he do to a team in, in a locker room as a leader? For me, there's just there's a bunch of things. What I One of the things I love about him, he's, I mean, competition and being a competitor is in his blood, but not just being a competitor, being a winner. He's going to do anything he has to to win, and he's going to bring you along with him and hold you to that high level of expectation. So he fit right in here, but and like I said, he helped us get to the next level. And hey, let's talk about this defense, because this, uh, you know, this the, the Stampeder defense getting lost uh, in in the process as well. Who are the guys that were the real leaders of that group for you? I, I was privileged to be one of them. Uh, AJ was one of them. Uh, Will Johnson was one. Uh, we had a lot of leaders. I mean, it was almost like the level of play and expectation each individual had allowed them to be uh, assume a role of leadership at different times but the ones I mentioned there primarily come to mind but at any given time anybody could have stepped up and uh, provided leadership verbally in action and we all had it in our hearts to be champions and uh, so many great names on this I mean you talked about the junior Thurman I just remember what a force he was in that backfield yeah junior was awesome I Man, my years playing next to Junior as halfback were incredible, and just his knowledge of the game and the way he helped me, I wouldn't have been the halfback I was if I had played with any other corner. And the game itself, the uh, the Grey Cup game, we were talking about it off the top. It wasn't a, it wasn't much of a game. I mean, you went in against Winnipeg, and you know you kind of you kind of wiped the floor with them there. Did, were you that confident going into the game? We were that confident. We we knew defensively that we could shut them down. And we knew our offense was high-powered and always comes through for us. And, you know, I mean, we, we kind of had to guard against celebrating before we actually put the victory in, <laughs> put the work in. And it was, was kind of cool. Uh, Doug still had his, uh, his Grey Cup champion hat. It looks like he put it away right after the game because the thing looks, uh, looks brand new. You, do you keep a lot of that stuff from the, uh, for, from the day? I have some stuff put away. Most of my stuff is collecting dust, but I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate that my mind is still pretty fresh with the memories and and I, I really enjoy going there now how quick did you say yes when they contacted you about coming up for this uh as as, as humanly as fast as humanly possible <laughs> i mean i i felt like this was a little overdue and just glad that we had a chance to do this and daryl you know what else is overdue uh, letting you get back to your lunch here man so uh i really appreciate you appreciate you taking the time it's such a treat to see you i'm so glad like you say this is overdue i'm glad they got this group together Yes, thanks again. All right, that is uh, Daryl Hall, uh, the first of a few of these Stampeder legends that we are going to be talking to at the Legacy Lunch. Hey, remember tomorrow night uh, at, the at the tailgate, Daryl and all these guys, they're going to be out on the south practice field, and uh, they're going to be signing autographs. Uh, they'll be telling stories with you. So that's going to be a great chance to get together. That is on the south side, the uh, grass field uh, at the south end of the field. We'll be looking forward to that. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, the Legacy Luncheon Show live. More Stampeder Legends yet to come on News Talk 770. 
Hey, it's Dave Rowe live at the Legacy Lunch. Uh, we are honoring, celebrating, and uh, munching down uh, with the 1992 Stampeder Grey Cup champion team. 25th anniversary of that team. Remember, come to the game tomorrow night. Get there early. Take it the tailgate because these guys are going to be hanging out down on the old South Grass practice field, and uh, it is going to be their pleasure just to uh, talk to you and uh, reminisce uh, about uh, about that game. Man, I tell you, uh, I'd only been in Calgary for a couple of years, and I was working as, as a spotter. Ken Newens uh, was doing the uh, was doing the PA, and so I'd you know help him. I'd spot numbers and all this. And I remember Alondra Johnson uh, was was just starting out with the team, and so Ken would be up there and he'd go, and I go tackle by Alondra Johnson, and Ken would go tackle by Alonzo Johnson, and I. I mean, this is Ken Newens, man. I can't be correcting Ken Newens, but so a lot of people probably thought he was Alonzo for a time. No one ever mistook this guy's name. Uh, our next guest, Andy McVeigh, number 34 in your program, number one in your hearts. Andy, welcome back, man. Good to see you. Well, thank you very much. It's fantastic to be back here in Calgary. Uh, well, uh, how did you find out about this? Who called you? Uh, well, um, Kenny Moore organized this stuff. I talked to him last year about it. He's done a great job of pulling everything together, so it's been outstanding. What's, you know, when you got together with the guys for the first time, I mean, I, I imagine, well, you know, since you all played together, you, you haven't had this many of you under one roof at the same time. How did it feel? Uh, it was great. You know what? You're a bunch of, uh, you might be 45, 50-year-old men, but you're back being 25-year-old kids again, having a lot of fun and joking the same jokes you told a lot of years ago. <laughs> exactly. And they're funnier now than they were then. We can almost uh, tell each other the same jokes, but it was great. It's great hearing from everyone. And you know what? You're a better player than you were then. At least, you know, they tell you tell the stories. You just get those those runs get longer. The catches get better. Absolutely. I told Huff, what you t- I never fumbled the ball. I don't know where you are coming from. No, no. way. <laughs> John Huffnagel, general manager. Who would have thought? I tell you. Yeah, Huff was a phenomenal offensive coordinator and a great coach and a great mentor, and he's done a great thing with this program. So that's outstanding to see him still in the program. I mean, speaking of great coaches, uh, we were talking to John the other night about 92. And, uh, I mean, I know he's, you know, Wally was always his mentor. And he says none of this happens w- without Wally Buona. What was Wally like to play for? In, in his early days, because he, he was still sort of finding his way as a coach back then, too. Well, I think Wally was still connected to the years when he was a player, and he probably still is right now. But he, he was really open and honest with the players and told you how it was, and a lot of respect for the players. He knew what you had to do. And, and Wally, I think, passed it on. Obviously, Huff played a lot of great years as well. They understand the player circumstance. And talking about the players on this team, I, I really get the impression that you guys were a team. I mean, I'd see you out doing some charity events like the odd hockey game uh, here and there, and it, and it really seemed that this is a group that, that just enjoyed its company. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when that door's closed in the dressing room, there's a lot of things that can go on, but that the team that we had that you really work well together, like being with each other, and so you work harder, and you really are dedicated when you're all out there together. And you were on the offensive side of the ball. I was talking to Daryl about uh, about some of the leaders. I mean, you know, obviously Doug, the quarterback, it starts there. Who, who did you who did you really look to for leadership on, on that side? Well, you know, on the offensive side, you had a lot of great leaders. Guys like, you know, Sapungis, he was always good in talking up stuff like that. Key Van Jenkins as a tailback, he, he was a silent leader, quiet, but he was out there 100%, and I always found him as an inspirational leader. At Key Van, uh, we were hoping that he'd be here. I, I haven't seen him. I don't know if he's going to be coming in late or anything like that. But, again, you know, we... In the last few years, I mean, we've been kind of spoiled, you know, with Joffrey Reynolds and John Cornish and, and now uh, Messam. But, uh, but Key Van Jenkins, I remember him, just some of the explosiveness that he had out of the backfield. Yeah, he was a great blocker. I don't think people realize how good a blocker he was as well, too. So in, in playing fullback, he was opening up holes for me. 
And, he, and I think Doug always knew in the backside when he had Keevan there, he was safe, and he did a lot of great things for this team. And on the offense, of course, uh, we always talk about Alan Pitts. What, to you, made Alan a, a special player? Alan was one of the hardest-working guys in practice, too, and that's what made him a great player. He would go out there and work just as hard in practice as a game, and I think that brought his level up and brought the team's level up as well, too. And, you know, unfortunately, Alan is a guy... He's uh, the last time I talked to Alan. I think it was like ten years or so ago when they put him up on the on the Wall of Fame. Uh, the alumni tried to get a hold of him and and couldn't find him. Any any anyone have any idea what Alan's doing these days? Well, I'm sure you know Junior Thurman and guys like that may be keeping in touch with him. Um, not certain the reason, but he like, he's a big part of this team. He always was, and uh, I think he may not be physically here, but his name is talked about all the time. He was a big part of this game. And of course, uh, we're celebrating that '92 Grey Cup game. Uh, when did you know? When did you know it was one? When did the celebration start? I remember turning to Dave Sapunjas, who was celebrating with about two minutes left, and I was like, Dave, Dave, anything can happen in the CFL. You can't celebrate. But, but you know what? That is the way the CFL was. But when you got down about 45 seconds a minute, that was it. We started putting the hats on, and you, we knew we had it in the bag at that point. Andy, uh, catch you long enough, man. Uh, enjoy your lunch. Uh, enjoy your time with the fans. And enjoy the time with your teammates. It's great to see you again. All right. Thank you very much. Great uh, city. Love to be back. All right. That is uh, Andy McVeigh, just another one of these uh, Stampeder legends from uh, the Legacy Lunch joining us. we got a break for news. More coming up from the Legacy Lunch at the Red and White Club. Hey, it's Dave Rowe live at the Legacy Lunch. Uh, we are honoring, celebrating, and uh, munching down uh, with the 1992 Stampeder Grey Cup champion team. 25th anniversary of that team. Remember, come to the game tomorrow night. Get there early. Take it to the tailgate because these guys are going to be hanging out down on the old South Grass practice field, and uh, it is going to be their pleasure just to uh, talk to you and uh, reminisce uh, about uh, about that game. Man, I tell you, uh, I'd only been in Calgary for a couple of years, and I was working as, as a spotter. Ken Newens uh, was doing the uh, was doing the PA, and so I'd you know help him. I'd spot numbers and all this. And I remember Alondra Johnson uh, was was just starting out with the team, and so Ken would be up there and he'd go and I go tackle by Alondra Johnson, and Ken would go tackle by Alonzo Johnson, and I. I mean, this is Ken Newens, man. I can't be correcting Ken Newens, but so a lot of people probably thought he was Alonzo for a time. No one ever mistook this guy's name. Uh, our next guest, Andy McVeigh, number 34 in your program, number one in your hearts. Andy, welcome back, man. Good to see you. Well, thank you very much. It's fantastic to be back here in Calgary. And, uh, well, uh, how did you find out about this? Who called you? Uh, well, um, Kenny Moore organized this stuff. I talked to him last year about it. He's done a great job of pulling everything together, so it's been outstanding. What's, you know, when you got together with the guys for the first time, I mean, I, I imagine, well, you know, since you all played together, you, you haven't had this many of you under one roof at the same time. How did it feel? Uh, it was great. You know what? You're a bunch of, uh, you might be 45, 50-year-old men, but you're back to being 25-year-old kids again, having a lot of fun and joking the same jokes you told a lot of years ago. <laughs> exactly. And they're funnier now than they were then. We can almost uh, tell each other the same jokes, but it was great. It's great hearing from everyone. And you know what? You're a better player than you were then. At least, you know, to tell, you tell the stories, you just get those those runs get longer, the catches get better. Absolutely. I told Huff, what you t I never fumbled the ball. I don't know where you're coming from. No, no. way. <laughs> John Huffnagel, general manager. Who would have thought? I tell you. Yeah, Huff was a phenomenal offensive coordinator and a great coach and a great mentor, and he's done a great thing with this program. So that's outstanding to see him still in the program. I mean, speaking of great coaches, uh, we were talking to John the other night about 92, and, uh, I mean, I know he's, you know, Wally was always his mentor, and he says none of this happens w without Wally Buono. What was Wally like to play for 
in, in his early days because he, he was still sort of finding his way as a coach back then too. Well, I think Wally was still connected to the years when he was a player, and he probably still is right now. But he, he was really open and honest with the players and told you how it was and a lot of respect for the players. He knew what you had to do. And, and Wally, I think, passed it on. Obviously, Huff played a lot of great years as well. They understand the player circumstance. And talking about the players on this team, I, I really get the impression that you guys were a team. I mean, I'd see you out doing some charity events like the odd hockey game uh, here and there, and it, and it really seemed that this is a group that, that just enjoyed its company. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when that door's closed in the dressing room, there's a lot of things that can go on, but that the team that we had that year really worked well together, liked being with each other, and so you work harder, and you really are dedicated when you're all out there together. And you were on the offensive side of the ball. I was talking to Daryl about uh, about some of the leaders. I mean, you know, obviously Doug, the quarterback, it starts there. Who, who did you who did you really look to for leadership on, on that side? Well, you know, on the offensive side, you had a lot of great leaders. Guys like, you know, Sapungis, he was always good in talking up stuff like that. Keevan Jenkins as a tailback, he, he was a silent leader, quiet, but he was out there 100%, and I always found him as an inspirational leader. At Keevan, uh, we were hoping that he'd be here. I, I haven't seen him. I don't know if he's going to be coming in late or anything like that. But, again, you know, we... In the last few years, I mean, we've been kind of spoiled, you know, with Joffrey Reynolds and John Cornish and, and now uh, Messam. But, uh, but Key Van Jenkins, I remember him, just some of the explosiveness that he had out of the backfield. Yeah, he was a great blocker. I don't think people realize how good a blocker he was as well, too. So in, in playing fullback, he was opening up holes for me. And, he, and I think Doug always knew in the backside when he had Keevan there, he was safe, and he did a lot of great things for this team. And on the offense, of course, uh, we always talk about Alan Pitts. What, to you, made Alan a, a special player? Alan was one of the hardest-working guys in practice, too, and that's what made him a great player. He would go out there and work just as hard in practice as a game, and I think that brought his level up and brought the team's level up as well, too. And, you know, unfortunately, Alan is a guy... He's uh, the last time I talked to Alan. I think it was like ten years or so ago when they put him up on the on the Wall of Fame. Uh, the alumni tried to get a hold of him and and couldn't find him. Any any anyone have any idea what Alan's doing these days? Well, I'm sure you know Junior Thurman and guys like that may be keeping in touch with him. Um, not certain the reason, but he like, he's a big part of this team. He always was, and uh, I think he may not be physically here, but his name is talked about all the time. He was a big part of this game. And of course, uh, we're celebrating that '92 Grey Cup game. Uh, when did you know? When did you know it was one? When did the celebration start? I remember turning to Dave Sapunjas, who was celebrating with about two minutes left, and I was like, Dave, Dave, anything can happen in the CFL. You can't celebrate. But, but you know what? That is the way the CFL was. But when you got down about 45 seconds a minute, that was it. We started putting the hats on, and you, we knew we had it in the bag at that point. Andy, uh, catch you long enough, man. Uh, enjoy your lunch. Uh, enjoy your time with the fans. And enjoy the time with your teammates. It's great to see you again. All right. Thank you very much. Great uh, city. Love to be back. All right. That is uh, Andy McVeigh, just another one of these uh, Stampeder legends from uh, the Legacy Lunch joining us. we got a break for news. More coming up from the Legacy Lunch at the Red and White Club. Dave Rowe live from the Red and White Club. It is the Legacy Lunch, and we are honoring the 1992 Grey Cup champion team. A whole lot of familiar faces. A whole lot of greats. All Stars uh, Hall of Famers are here with us. Speaking of Hall of Famers, I got one of them uh, with me right now, Stampeder Hall of Fame broadcaster, Mark Steeman. Mark, uh, you're in this afternoon. How you doing? Yeah, it's really neat. And I was on the field pre-game seeing a lot of the players uh, up close and uh, 
saying hi to them. Some look very similar to what they did. It helped a lot when they put their jerseys on, i got to tell you. And then, uh, you know, just visiting with some guys that I haven't seen in a long time. And uh, it was really nice, uh, really enjoyable. They're really glad they pulled this together to salute the tradition of the team, for sure. Well, I tell you, you know, that was uh, now you were calling games back uh, towards the leather helmet days. But yeah. no, actually, it was, it was just after uh, when, when your long run with the Stampeder started. But, of course, you were covering this team back then. Yep. It's, uh, you know, it's been a long time since Calgary had seen a championship. What do you remember going into this year, uh, going into that year? Well, they were certainly very highly motivated after losing the Grey Cup. And you got to remember, it was uh, the third year of the Wally Buono era, which, uh, you know, began start of the 90s after the 80s were just such chaos and confusion. So there was a real level of expectation with the team. A lot of people had a lot of expectations and hopes for this team, and they delivered. That's not the easiest thing to do when you're uh, so uh, heavily favored or the burden of anticipation is there. But uh, I was convinced once they got through uh, Edmonton in the West Final here, they were Grey Cup uh, winners in the waiting. So it was only the third in franchise history, too. We can't yeah. lose sight of that. So. I mean, and that was the thing, too. It's, uh, you know, we were talking about the Grey Cup game was a little bit of an anticlimax because they, you know, they, they just blew out Winnipeg. That one was over kind of early. But that Western Final against the Edmonton Eskimos, that was a nail-biter. And it came down oh, to yeah. the, the, the shoe play. Yeah, that was, a, that was a great game. That was an excellent game with a cold day. Not as cold as we've had, but it was pretty bitterly cold. But uh, once it got indoor to Toronto in the uh, Sky Dome with the perfect climate conditions, I, I didn't, I guess anything's possible, just look at last year. But I certainly recognized they were heavy favorites and not shocked at all that they won. But it was certainly exciting because, as you say, 1948 to 1971, 1971 to 1992, that's a lot of nothing in between. And, I mean, there was a whole lot of time, uh, again, you know, guys who have been around this town for a long time like you and I, remember when we were wondering if there was going to be a Calgary Stampede oh, yeah. not long before that. That was part of the chaos of the 80s, yeah, yeah, for sure. That was part of it, the instability of the franchise, but at the same time, they were parading through coaches on a regular basis. Nobody could establish anything, and uh, you know, once the Wally Buono era began, that began the area. Era of stability, it, frankly, save for three years in the early 2000s, has continued. This team has been at or near the top of the CFL, uh, won several championships, and been close on several others. And uh, uh, well, we're hoping uh, we're hoping to get the man himself. I'm looking up at the front of the room, and uh, if we can get Doug Flutie away from the parade of selfies up throngs, there, yeah. I tell you. But uh, it, it sure is it sure is great to see Doug because this is a man with uh, a very very busy schedule. We haven't had a chance to see too much of him in the uh, city through the years. He is uh, making his way say, over. Not here too busy now. for you today. No, absolutely. <laughs> Everyone everyone's got time for yeah. Dave Rowe. Doug yeah. Flutie's got time for Dave Rowe. Well, I'll let you fill on in there, and but uh, yeah, but anyway, back to it. Uh, you know, and then just saying. Doug, we're just there. He's getting the headphones on. There you we're go. We're just talking about the sense of anticipation. Doug, you guys were good, but you also had the burden of expectations. That's something you had to fight too. I mean, you know, you came. There was trades. There was a lot of talent. There was a disappointment in '91. There was a big burden of expectation They're of this really, team. That's a, in itself a skill managing that. You know, Danny Barrett was a very popular quarterback in this town, and he played great. The team went to the Grey Cup the year before. They had a great defense as well. And they got beaten a Grey Cup, and they got in beaten a Grey Cup that had an icy field with small all the thing, all the factors oh, yeah. went into that. So, you know, the nucleus was there. The expectation was you got now now go spend the money, bring Doug Flutie over. Now we have to win. You know, now all of a sudden, I mean, they were within inches the year before. So I was I was very that that particular year. I was locked in and serious from day one, and and I had trouble. I honestly personally have trouble just enjoying it because I enjoy the being on the field stuff, but 
the, the, the preparation end and all that and, and enjoying a victory, my favorite time is when I'm actually on the field. The rest of it was work. So anyway, uh, for it all to come together the way it did, I think the turning point of the season was after the Labor Day game. We went up to Edmonton and won that game. And that started the role for the end of the year. And were you able to start to in, enjoying things more as as the season went along, or because th- there was always that burden? I mean, you know, I'm looking at the number of people taking pictures with you today. Uh, you know, everywhere you went in town, it was Doug Flutie, Doug Flutie, Doug Flutie. You know, it, it's tough. I don't know. It it all comes with the territory, no doubt about it. But my main focus was winning football games, and that had to come first. And you know, there's an expectation when a name player comes to town oh the marketing department gets excited the pr department you know whatever they would we got to have them doing this and we should have them doing that and you look the bottom line is i got to get ready to play a football game yeah and and i always kept that priority and uh, it, it all worked out and i talked with the guys you know we talked through it i i said before we had a great defense i'm standing on the sideline in the western final and we're trailing the game they've got the ball we needed to get the ball back i think they, edmonton picked up a first down or two but eventually we got a good sack, got the ball back with just over a minute to go and gave us the opportunity to, to, to win that game. Can I just ask about one guy? He doesn't talk much about himself, but you mentioned somebody that came here. It was a little tough getting on page with his offense in the first half of your first year, but just the impact of John Huffnagel, how he revolutionized the game. Uh, it's not an accident that he's back as coach and GM and success has followed. He never talks about his NFL days, but he uh, coached some of the top quarterbacks there. Just thoughts on what he meant to you and you know, just what he's done for football in general. I came from a situation in British Columbia where we didn't have the greatest coaching staff top to bottom. And I got here with Wally as the head coach, Huff as the offense coordinator. It was legit. It was back to what I was used to down in the NFL, and it was NFL-style coaching. And Huff, you know, being around the league for years, understood what worked. And what we started doing and what he started implementing was not necessarily having to go vertical, but horizontal, spread the field, spread them out, find the windows. And our passing game became a controlled passing game of extended handoffs, almost, you know, eight-yard passes, five-yard passes. Let them decide when. You know, they finally get antsy. They come up, they play man coverage, they get tight, and bang, someone's by them, we hit a deep ball, and it's, it's on. So he was great for me it was a structured offense i know that everybody looks at the way i played the game it's like oh you know he just ran around and no (laughs) it was a structured offense i was a disciplined guy as far as reads and and i wanted to know all that and uh huff helped me elevate my game and you had so many great targets on that team i mean we've been talking about uh alan pitts and uh just you know what he was able to do but you know Derek crawford carl bland peewee smith you looked around the field uh that's that's got to give a quarterback some confidence boy we had speed yeah we had we had between peewee and Derek crawford two of the fastest guys in the league and guys that were nfl fast peewee weighed all of like 140 pounds yeah but he could flat out fly and and then uh the Alan Pitts of the world that Alan was open by body position alone, let alone he was he was long and lanky, but he was crafty and knew his game, great hand, all that, and Sponge was just Mr. Consistent inside. And so we did have a lot of weapons, a lot of things that my I never really paid attention to the individual that I was throwing the ball to. Yeah. You know, it didn't matter. It was the route, what's the coverage? I'm going there with the ball. Oh, that's Sponge. Oh, that's uh 
you know, Crawford or Bland or you name it. It didn't matter. I just turned and took my reading through the football. And I've gone through the game story from uh, the win over Winnipeg, but what are your big memories of that game? The moments, you know, just going into that game, you know, when you knew you had it won, just, you know, those kind of emotions. We came out the gate with a unique formation in Huff's game planning, talking about John Huffman. And uh, Derek Crawford, we lined him up in the backfield. He motioned out to the weak side. We got a linebacker on Derek Crawford on a corner route, and it was all nice. over. And it was all over. And, um, you know, it, it just we started with a big play. We walked the ball up and down the field the entire – we were up 24 nothing, and that game was over. I mean, we should have honestly won the game 40 to nothing. We got conservative in the second half because you didn't want to make the stupid play that got him back in yeah. the game. And then Winnipeg wound up scoring 10 points late. I mean, their defense was awesome. So middle of the fourth quarter, I do remember being behind the bench in front of our Calgary fans. And Sponge, like I said, I, my, I enjoyed just the fact that we win and that we're successful. I didn't know how to celebrate a win. And Sponge taught me. And, you know, it was like he grabbed me by the hand. We went behind the bench. We, we played to our crowd. Their crowd was right. And that was the moment that... I started to relax and just enjoy the whole atmosphere. And I was able to, for the last 15, 20 minutes while we were there, just take it all in and enjoy the fact that we were a great cut chance. Did that help just sort of change the approach to the game for you? You know, take you away from some of the pressures of being Doug Flutie and, and just being able just to get back to, you know, to, to having fun with the game of football? I think, um, yeah, getting that off your back, winning the championship, but... But now, you know, you just want to do it again. Yeah. Because the next year, we had a heartbreaking loss in the Western Final. And, and you're back to square one, just mad at the world and got to go win again. So, um, yeah, and I, I do say, and I spent eight years playing in the CFL. And they were just so enjoyable for me as far as on the I love my favorite time was being on the field. Yeah. It really was. You know, just it was my playground. And. And it was so much fun to play this game. Uh, that, and all the, the relationships you build with guys over the years and from playing together and from going through all that together, it, it was an amazing part of my life. i got to get one story in. It's a, it's a true story after all these years. Uh, the Western Final, that was the real excitement, the real nail-biter. You talked about getting the ball back, marching in, and then the infamous shoe play. Doug Flutie loses his shoe. I remember we're all watching the game we're losing our minds he scored a touchdown with one shoe you know like your yeah. leg fell off or something like that but there's there's more to the shoe play than that well you know we got down close and we i wanted to get the first down from about the six yard line and once we got the first down i i thought you know we could actually run this ball in we don't have to throw and uh i ran a quarterback sneak and i slipped off the right tackle and ran it out there and guy grabbed me by the leg and my shoe comes off so now we're lining up, the clock's running, we're getting down, you know, the, I, we have no timeouts and the clock's running and I just call the next play and I'm figured, oh, I got all the way down to the three, two more quarterback sneaks and we're in the end zone. So I called quarterback sneak again. We spread it out and I figured I'd just put my shoe on and all of a sudden I, it was a double knot and I couldn't get it over my heel and I just shoved my toes down into the shoe and snapped the ball and, you know, for, as soon as I pushed off my right foot, the shoe went flying off and... Unfortunately, we got in the end zone on that play. So, um, you know, it really didn't affect anything. It was just all part of the lore. <laughs> hey, man, it's better that way. It's better oh, when no it's doubt. part of the yeah, lore. You, you, but before I let you go, just like a, a couple of things, a couple of nice things that people have said about you, uh, starting with John Hoffnagel, because, you know, we always say, hey, the CFL was made for Doug Flutie, and John Hoffnagel corrected us. He says, no, 
football was made for Doug Flutie. He just talked about your competitiveness, your your, your preparation, and just how that suits the game of football. Well, you know, Huff, Huff and I worked hand-in-hand hand so much through those years, and uh, it's nice to hear those comments because a lot of people do think, oh, Doug was just a great athlete and ran all over the field and made plays. And I was a quarterback. I mean, we'd change plays in the line of scrimmage. I'd do things for coverage. I'd read through my reads. Uh, two-minute situation. I love two-minute and, and managing the clock and all the things that come with football. Um, knowing how to use your personnel. I loved, you know, when you, when you had multiple weapons at receiver and running back and all that and figuring out with Huff how, how we were going to... Perfect example was the great cup play I was talking yeah. about of putting... Derek Crawford in the backfield, a special formation to match him up on a linebacker and have a big play right away in the Grey Cup. Um, all that stuff. It's, it's, it's just, I love that aspect of the game. And the other compliment for you, this one I don't think you heard before. It was a guy on Twitter this week after you were in Toronto to honor that Grey Cup team. Doug Flutie did hockey hair better than anyone <laughs> who never played the game of hockey. That was, uh, that was a good flow. You know what? I, I never realized... I liked my hair a little bit longer, and I just must have gotten lazy and not gotten it cut for a while. Because when I saw pictures, and even even back then, I remember after the fact, like at the end of the season, seeing some pictures, it was a lot longer than I thought. Especially when you put the helmet on, because the helmet pushes the hair down. It's like three inches longer down the back. I'm like, damn, it's covering my my nameplate. <laughs> You made that stuff look good. Doug, uh, I, I know everyone's been pushing and pulling you and getting you for pictures. I appreciate you let, uh, letting my producer, Katie, pull you over here. It is great to see you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you so much. All right. That is uh, Doug Flutie, a big part of the uh, Legends Lunch here. What a great day this is. I'm just like a fanboy here again after 25 years. Having a great time. More guests still to come. Uh, we are enjoying the luncheon. It is the live Legacy Luncheon show. We're going to take it up till 1 o'clock. More Stampeder Legends still to come on News Talk 770. I don't know if anyone's having more fun than me uh, at lunchtime here because I am having a great time. Dave Rowe, live from the Legacy Luncheon at the Red and White Club. Uh, I'm here with the reunion of the 1992 Grey Cup champion team. Uh, first time a lot of these guys have seen each other in a long time, and it's just like a bunch of big old little kids around here. And uh, guy, man, dude, you still look like you could just put on the helmet and play here. I'm joined by Paul Clatney from the 1992 Grey Cup Champions. It's good to see you again, man. You too, Dave. It's you like I, I had to, when I heard I was going to be doing this show, I said, this, this is one of the guys I have to get on because back then, back in the day, outside of the football, you know, we'd play a little bit of hockey here and there, some of the, the charity games uh, around town. You remember doing some of that stuff, uh, you know, away from away from football and just getting out into the community? Oh, I sure do. I, I think um, that was a big part of when I came to Cal I don't think I skated in the 80s. When I got to Calgary, the guys in the offseason said, hey, we've got about 20 games, charity games we're doing. So it was, it was when I started to skate again, and hockey's always been my, my favorite game. And, uh, um, yeah, it was a big part of being here in Calgary. And, I mean, and that was something, too, uh, I think that people forget about this team. We talked about some of the chaos in the 80s with, you know, the ownership and just trying to keep the lights on with this team. But, but in the 90s, it really seemed like uh, the team got serious about establishing the Stampeder brand, about making the team just a, a real big part of that community. And uh, just like the little things, like, you know, going out and skating in small town rinks, that was a big part of that. Um, yeah, we got involved in the community uh, quite a bit here, and that was uh, lots of charities, lots of things to do in small towns. And 
it was a good time for me to I came from from Winnipeg in 1990 and it was when things started to, to turn here and uh, I remember when I came to you know obviously the, the Flames had just won the cup it was this was a hockey town and, and uh, um, Wally took over in 90 and we um, the team started to have some success we were uh, we made it to the cup in 91 with, uh, with Danny and of course picked up Doug and, and won in 92 so it was uh, things definitely started to change and it was it was great to to be a part of that and another one of the reasons i brought you on i mean you know everyone's we're talking about doug flutie about uh, you know alan pitts daryl hall you know the big names from the team like that but you know then there's the guys like you like you know like blair zur you know maybe the you know when you're naming players from 92 not the first names that come to mind but but you guys were a team there were all of these support players in all of the positions to make this a great football team yeah, I think uh, success in the, the CFL to have a solid core of Canadians and, uh, of course, people that know the game understand that uh, special teams is, is really a third of the game and often can de- decide the, the, the outcome if, if you can win the special teams game. So we were, uh, we were quite strong in, in that uh, area, but we were, we were actually, the 92 team was strong in all areas yeah. like when, you, when you think about it. We were, we were quite dominant. So. Um, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a great great core of guys and uh, uh, lots of good memories. It's hard to believe it's been a quarter century, you know, since since that team. So. And well, you know, when you were first contacted uh, about this, so, you know, how did how did you react thinking about seeing all these guys again? Were you was it just pure excitement? Were you like a little bit nervous at all about seeing anyone after all this time? Um, no, actually, the last year, I, uh, four years ago, I had a uh, the twenty fifth. Uh, I was with uh, Winnipeg, the won the eighty eight cup and um, a reunion there and. It was such a great experience and back new stadium in Winnipeg and then last year I was uh, I was on the practice roster with the Tiger Cats in 86 when yeah. we won the cup so uh, we just had a 30th there so I've been doing a run of these these uh, anniversary reunions and it's it's uh, I was excited to get out here to see the guys I hadn't seen them in, in so long and and uh, of course I've um, just having done a few understand how great they are and it's great to see the guys and, and celebrate again and, and get back to hanging on the dress room with the guys. I mean, you touched on something really important, and, I mean, it's something that still matters to this team. You talk about the the core of Canadians uh, on that team, you know, the guys like yourself, you know, the, the Rocco Romanos, uh, you know, the offensive linemen, the defensive line that uh, had all those great Canadian starters, uh, the guys like, you know, Stu Laird and Shrekos is a Kovic, you know, Bruce Coverington back on the offensive line. Unfortunately, and, Harold Hasselbeck couldn't make it up. It would no. be great to have seen Harold, and, and I haven't seen him since his... Is, uh, he had some good years there in Denver, and he, oh, he, he couldn't make he it. He did, man. And, and again, but you know, the brain trust on that team, Wally Buono and John Huffnagel, and these are two guys that all these years later know that you need good Canadians to win in the Canadian Football League. Was that something? You know, was, was that something that sort of you were conscious of at the time? You know how how good these guys were with the Canadian talent. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, being in Winnipeg. Prior to coming here, was uh, and you and you looked at the success of Edmonton for their their yeah. year, their five cups in a row. And, and uh, if you're going to be a GM in this uh, in this league, you, you better uh, um, understand that you need some solid Canadians and uh, um, solid that are also versatile players. So it's it was. Um, and that happened here with us in the, in the early mid '90s too. And if you're doing special teams, you got to be able to kick the ball. And uh, Tony Martino and Mark McLaughlin were a couple of guys that were pretty good at it. Great kickers, great kickers, yeah, for sure. And hey, one thing you know, I was kind of I was joking with you about it uh, before we came on, but it's it was sort of tough in a way. But you know, through I think it was like through Larry Rickman, you got involved. There was a, a short-lived professional roller hockey league. 
uh, that uh, that came into being in the, in the early 90s. And you got you, you got involved in that. Well, how that came about was uh, I decided to take the the 93 season off because I I'd, uh, I'd been with the national bobsleigh team for for uh, a couple of years and they would make yeah. concessions for me during non-Olympic years. So uh, with an Olympics coming up in in Lillehammer. Um, I needed to take the full year off football, and uh, I had a window of opportunity. Like I said, hockey's always been my, my favorite game, and uh, it was a two-month venture, and unfortunately, I, I broke my ankle down at the saddle bone Man. Uh, pretty bad, but uh, these things happen. But uh, yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was fun. We opened up our first game, and we had it in, in L.A. at the at the old, the old forum there, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And hey, a lot of fun here today. What's what memories are coming back for you when you look at the teammates, when you think about the game? Anything in particular from that year, from that Grey Cup game that really stand out for you? I just think, you know, we get you get the guys back together and it's almost like we like we're back in the room and the the same conversations and some of the great stories and, and uh, um, not so much the events with the game, it's just more just the relationships and, and uh, um, some of the things we did away just to um, not so much talking about events like specific games, really, mm-hmm. but uh, just our, our friendships, and that, and that's and when you have a you win a championship, it's it's uh, that's what it's all about, and you you always you'll always have that ring and, and that great memories with, with guys. Paul, I appreciate you coming and sharing some of those memories with me, man. It's great yeah, seeing you. My again. pleasure. Good to see you again. I'll let you enjoy your teammates and the rest of the lunch. Thank you. All right, that is Paul Clatney. Uh, he's uh, our final guest here as uh, we are live uh, at the Legacy Lunch uh, for the Calgary Stampeders and uh, the Legacy Weekend. And uh, the team is going to be getting together tomorrow to play uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats. The pregame show is going to go at 6 o'clock. And uh, we want you down here for the pregame tailgate party because the team is going to be down. The 92 team is going to be down on the south field signing autographs and sharing some of these great stories. That's going to wrap it up to the Red and White Club. It's time for a great idea. Idea for Park to Go Value Valet. No need to search for an empty parking spot with Drop and Go Valet service. Reserve and save at parktogo.ca. Sports Talk with Jock. Weekdays from 6:30 to 8 p.m. on News Talk 770 Calgary. CHQR.